Hello to all from beautiful Lago Vista, Texas, here on the north shore of Lake Travis. Uh, This is Mitch Friedman with the Pinocchio Project. Our goal here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip the church to capture ideas about what it means to flourish as human beings, to filter them through a biblical grid, and then to hold on to what's good. Uh, We're reminded in Paul's letter to the Ephesians Uh, that we don't wrestle against fellow image bearers. We wrestle not, he says, against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against ideas that are sourced in supernatural places that are then enslaving image bearers. And there are a lot of ideas now, uh, as there have been throughout church history, that offer life, offer flourishing, uh, but when run through a biblical grid, we see actually that they need to be rejected. And so as we get together on the Pinocchio Project, uh, we want to take each installment and look at some ideas that promise flourishing but may not deliver. Uh, In the terms of the Pinocchio Project, their nose may be growing. It could be a lie. And so today I want to uh, title this podcast, this little insert, this installment, It's a Great Time to Be Alive. Now those of you, if you're in the church in the West, uh, that actually doesn't sound like it's true because you may feel like uh, it's really not a good time to be alive as a Christian in the West uh, because of all the ideas that have uh, assaulted the church, all the ideas that have been accommodated and imported into the church. But I want to offer a different perspective. I want to offer that when you filter the ideas of the day through the opportunities we have, just like all times in church history, we have to conclude that it's a great time to be alive. And I'll get to uh, that encouragement again toward the end of our time together. Uh, But let me make some observations on my experience as a uh, pastor for the last 25 years, Uh, and particularly over the last five or 10 years, as the culture has insisted that the church drink in ideas such as same-sex marriage, uh, and more recently, uh, critical race theory, Uh, as a social justice construct under the banner of biblical Christianity. Uh, I've I've noticed that we are getting progressively more confused as believers when these ideas come into our lives and come into the church. And a confused believer makes a terrible witness for Christ. And so I want to talk briefly about the pathology of confusion. And what I mean by that is, Uh, When a believer is confused about what's a good idea and what's a bad idea, uh, there are several responses that follow and uh, several responses that have to be chosen. So let's look at the pathology. Let's look at the pathway of a confused believer uh, as bad ideas take hold. The first step is to be confronted by a bad idea. Uh, And what I've noticed is believers who are confronted by a bad idea, uh, such as this idea, in the form of a question. I don't know what the big deal is about same-sex marriage. Love is love is love. And I don't understand what the big deal is about families being led by other than a biological male and a biological female. After all, the kids will be fine. They just need happy, quote-unquote, parents. So I don't know what the big deal is. So as a believer, When someone asks you that question, this might even be something that you hold yourself, this question of what's the big deal. 
about this issue of same-sex marriage. If you have anxiety immediately when that question is raised, mostly because you don't know how to answer it or talk to it or have a discourse with it, uh, it's probably because you have a lack of clarity on the grand story known as the Bible, God's definition of reality as couched in his word. And so the first, the first response to this bad idea is anxiety. And the anxiety, uh, when left to its own, uh, overworks the adrenal gland. And if you've ever been terrified uh, for a long time or terrified over something cataclysmic for a short time, you know that your adrenal gland can stand only so much before it starts looking for relief. And when, when, I, when I'm overworked, when I'm, when I'm terrified, when I'm uncertain, uh, my adrenal gland is looking for an off-ramp. Uh, and so let's look at the pathways then to relief. Uh, so if, if you allow me to, to recast this, the first step, the first response to a bad idea for a lot of believers in the West due to a lack of clarity is terror. And so when terrified, how do I find relief? Well, there's what I see as three relief pathways uh, that I've recognized. I recognize it in myself if I'm not careful, and I recognize it in the church in the West. Uh, the first relief pathway is to rant about the bad idea or about the people that hold the bad idea or retreat from the bad idea or the people that hold the bad idea. And I would offer that neither one of those, neither rant nor retreat, is an appropriate posture for an effective witness to Jesus Christ. But anytime I'm in rant or retreat mode, I can couch that then in the old adrenal pathway of fight or flight. And if you remember, at the beginning of this short time together, I reminded us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says that our 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 weapons of warfare are not carnal or not fleshly or not against people, but they're spiritual in nature. So for me to rant at someone, uh, typically social media, because I don't have to face them and uh, have to duck from their fist, uh, I can be almost anonymous, uh, or for me to retreat from a bad idea or from people who propose it and stick my head in the sand, they may offer me a sense of relief, but I have abdicated my spiritual responsibility. And it's based on a lack of clarity about God's grand story. Uh, if, if we were rooted strongly in this particular issue as it comes to same-sex marriage, we would understand from the creation narrative that God created us on purpose with a purpose, male and female in his image, so that we could create families with a biological male image bearer and a biological female image bearer. And the, the best chance for flourishing in a family and in a community is when a biological male and a biological female agree for a lifetime that they are all in regardless because that brings security to their offspring, to their generations, and it trains those generations then to, to live out that same vision in their generation. And that is God's grand design. Anything else, any other idea about what it means to do marriage and family for the sake of flourishing is a bad idea. And we have stats. This, this is not something that's esoteric or shapeless. This is not philosophy. This is practically backed up with all of the statistics we have in our culture. 
about what it means to grow up in any other environment than what God has ordained to be a flourishing setup. So the first pathway to relief with a bad idea is what I see and call fight or flight or rant or retreat. So if you're a ranter or a retreater, I want to encourage you to back off from that. Uh, uh, if you're a ranter, I, I encourage you to tone it down. If you're a, someone who likes to retreat and stick your head in the sand, I want to offer that you're missing a great opportunity to make an impact for Christ in this time to be alive, this great time to be alive. So the second pathway I see, uh, along with rant or retreat, for the church is a gradual accommodation to the bad idea. When there's constant pressure to conform to culture, and I'm not clear on the biblical answer or the biblical reality couched in God's grand story that counters the bad idea, and my adrenal gland is overworked, I find myself gradually accommodating what I used to stand firm against as to anti-flourishing ideas, I now begin to think, well, maybe it would be better if we did agree that this is an idea that the church needs to adopt. And again, I see that in two major ways currently. One is the ongoing assault of the new sexual orthodoxy in the LGBTQ plus agenda. And the plus is always being added to. And I see it more contemporarily in the critical race theory argument of oppressed and oppressor under the banner of social justice. So what I see across the, across the church culture in the West are individual churches and denominations and associations now gradually accommodating to these bad ideas. And what happens is you end up with, uh, as you continue to accommodate to the components of these bad ideas— and bring them into the church, you end up preaching another gospel, a gospel other than the one that was delivered to us. And Paul has a lot to say about uh, adopting and following another gospel in the book of Galatians. Uh, Jude says, uh, though he wanted to encourage the church about the, uh, the aspects of living a life of faith, he said he found it more important to encourage the church to now Hold on firmly to the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And that is always the church's goal, to understand bad ideas that assault the faith that was once and for all delivered to the church. So the second pathway is gradual accommodation. Now, the third pathway is actually optional for you, church. And that is when confused and when lacking clarity— I decide that I'm going to commit to a depth of understanding God's word and my place in his story that I've never had or that I've let grow cold. I'm going to commit to either regaining depth or to gain depth that I've never had because I know in my spirit that there is something not right with these bad ideas that I'm considering, but I don't have enough clarity or enough commitment to understand And I know that my church is also following the way of accommodation. So the three relief pathways, rant or retreat, gradual accommodation, or a commitment to depth that I've never had or that I've lost. And I want to encourage you, church, a commitment to depth that you've never had or a commitment to depth that you've lost and let grow cold will always bring the fruit 
of flourishing in your personal life, in your family life, and for the benefit of your community as you commit yourself to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. Now, if you choose number three, if you choose a commitment to depth, uh, the first step is to recognize, and here we come full circle, that it is a great time to be alive. You see, if you look at the history of the church in the West, you'll see that in the early days of the formation of our country, uh, it was actually preferable to call yourself at least a believer in God. Uh, There was status, there was ethos, there was cred, there was business opportunity to call yourself a Christian or someone who believed in God. And then as we move through our our history and secularism begins to come in, uh, sometime around the 1940s and 1950s, uh, you'll see that the the shine was a little bit off the pumpkin. Uh, When the sexual revolution came in, when the pill came in, and I'm getting kind of deep in the weeds here, but, but what happened in our country was, as far as how Christianity was seen, is it was not necessarily... Uh, something that you had to identify with, but it was still preferable because Christianity still, in in culture's eyes, brought something good to the table. Well, around the end of 1980s and into the early 90s, we begin to see that it's no longer something that is uh, accepted as good for culture. Christianity and culture was not is no longer being seen as something that was beneficial, but began to be seen as actually not even neutral but began to be seen as toxic for culture. And so this this cultural moment that we're in, uh, and seemingly uh, rapid acceleration uh, with new levels of disdain for Christianity being gained almost weekly, uh, may have you in a position of defensiveness and fear that, wow, man, we've lost something. If we could only go back there. Uh, Well, first of all, there is no going back there. And second of all, I'm not sure that that was really the, the preferable time, that, that, our, that our previous times in culture uh, were the preferable times to be believers, because there was really a very little testing. And a faith that is not tested can't be trusted. So this is, a, this is our time. This is the great time to be alive. And the default understanding of that is because this is the time and place that you're here. Uh, in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, Uh, Paul and his posse are on one of their missionary journeys, and they plant a church in Thessalonica, and the Jews chase them out, and then they they go to Berea, and great things are happening in Berea, but the Thessalonians are following them uh, from Thessalonica, uh, still after Paul and the posse, and so the posse sends Paul up ahead to Athens uh, to wait for them as they wrap things up in Berea, and Paul is in Athens by himself. And he's confronted immediately by bad ideas. He sees idols up and down the street, idols that that promise flourishing. These are idols to every possible God and season and function of life that they can imagine. And there's, there's idols everywhere. And there's even an idol, a bad idea to an unknown God in case they miss someone. So Paul goes into the synagogue, does his thing. He's invited up to where the the wise men are speaking, the really smart guys in the Areopagus. They invite him up because uh, the wise people in the city are intrigued by what they call his babbling. And so he he stands up in the meeting of the Areopagus. This is Acts 17.22. And he says this. I want you to listen carefully because embedded in this is our default commitment to understand this is a great time to be alalive. Acts 17.22, 
Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, or your ideas about flourishing, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are, very, you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And now this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And this is, pro, this is his proclamation. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Now listen carefully. This is our time and our place. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times. Uh, this is one word in Greek. Appointed times is, is contained in one word, kairos, seasons. This is the dash between our birth year and our death year. He marked out our kairos, our seasons in history, and the boundaries of their lands. So he has put us in this time at this place. Now, verse 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So, church, I want to remind you as we close our time together that step one in realizing the courage necessary to be grounded and committed to a depth that maybe you've never had or that you've let grow cold is to recognize that God has placed you in this kairos and in your geographic boundaries so that the people who need to reach out to him, the people that are seeking him, can be influenced by your confidence because a confused believer makes a terrible witness. So until next time, for the Pinocchio Project, Jeff Olson, Mitch Friedman, signing off. Mm-hmm.